We're going to be in First Thessalonians in chapter 2. And I don't know if we're going to stay here all week, but we are going to stay here tonight. First Thessalonians chapter number 2. I want to thank you for allowing us to be here and be part of the revival meeting. I have uh, pictures of grandchildren if you'd like to see them. I have 7,000 more on my phone if you got time. I got a good friend. He said, uh, I get sick of these grandparents all the time. They all got pictures of their grandkids. They want to show me pictures. And uh, he said, I'm tired of it. Well, now he has grandchildren. Guess what he's got? Pictures. Amen. So there's something about those grandchildren. But anyway, I want to thank you for allowing us to be here. And thank you for the good meal we had today. Got to fellowship with with uh, Lawrence and Schofield and their mom and dad. And uh, But we enjoyed spending some time with them today at lunchtime. And then we got to rest a little bit up here. Uh, in the upper room, uh, in between services. I'm, I just turned 65. I'm on, I, I know I look much younger. Um, I'm on Medicare. And, uh, I think what's happening is the Lord is, um, my father-in-law traveled with us for years. I don't know if any of you have ever met Papa and Nana Pitt. They traveled with us for years. Papa's gone on with the Lord, but he traveled with us till he was how old? I'm 80, probably 82 years old. He traveled in a motor home. And we did this every night, just about. And uh, I think what's happening is I'm 65, and the Lord's uh, saying to me, now, you see what Papa did all those years? Because I'm 65, and I'm warping them out today. But the Lord will help us, amen. But uh, I'm glad to be in church, aren't you? Well, and I like that fellow does the announcements. I enjoy that. He he gets about as excited about the announcements as everybody else does about preaching. That was pretty good. I enjoyed that. All right, First Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll not read this entire chapter, but I want to read a few verses and then we'll refer uh, back to part of this chapter. I want you to notice um, in verse number 17. First, I, I laugh when you stand up. I'll tell you why. Because I've got a, a preacher friend who was my pastor for several years and he went to preach at a church and everybody stood up when he went to read the Bible and it got him all confused. He said, I didn't tell you to stand up. Sit down. And but I won't, I won't tell you to sit down. I'm glad you're standing. All right, First Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm just going to read a few verses here, starting in verse number 17. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. I want to talk to you about this passage for a moment. And uh, I want to talk to you about the soon coming of the Lord. And I'm going to pray. And this morning I mentioned to you that since the Lord is coming soon, it's not a time to be artificial or to act like a Christian, but to be a Christian. Tonight I want to preach a little while on this. Since the Lord is coming soon, it's not a time for us to live an angry life. It's not time for us to live in anger. So let's pray a moment. Father, we love you and we thank you for loving us. We thank you we can be back in the house of the Lord, assembled together with the saints of God. And Lord, I'm refreshed already in the service, singing the songs of Zion, enjoying the fellowship of believers. 
Now I pray, Lord, you give me what I need physically, but mostly, Lord, give me what I need spiritually tonight to preach the Word of God. And I pray that you'll be glorified in everything that's said and done. Thank you for being so good to us. You're a wonderful Savior and a sweet God and a precious Lord. And we're looking for your coming. Now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now when I read what the commentators say about 1 Thessalonians, especially chapter number 2, some of them have the idea that some of the Thessalonican Christians had had a difficulty with Paul. And their difficulty was that Paul came in, he began to preach, people started getting saved, and then as often happened in the early church, persecution came. And those that were there in the church were persecuted, but Paul was spirited away, they took him somewhere else because of that persecution. And so perhaps some of the folks there in Thessalonica said, you know, we can't leave, this is our home, And we're staying here under persecution. And Paul, the one who came and preached to us, has now been spirited away. And so Paul is writing to them. And one of the things he emphasizes here in chapter number 2 is how much he loves them. And not that he went away because he didn't care what happened to them. But he went away under under the direction of the Lord that he might continue the ministry. And so he says to them in verse 17, Being taken from you for a short time in presence, but watch this little phrase not in heart. Paul said, I may not be there with you physically, but my heart is there with you. He's talking about how much he loves them. He's not angry with them. He doesn't want them to be angry with him. I read in my Bible several verses about anger. I read over in Ephesians chapter 4 where the Bible said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Then I read these verses in Colossians, which are just about the same. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and loving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye, and above all these things, put on charity which is the bond of perfectness. So Paul said, well, put anger away from us. Get rid of this malice. Get rid of this critical and, and angry spirit. I Several years ago, in fact, I don't. it's probably been 30 years ago, I was in Florida preaching in Bradington, Florida, and uh, the preacher took us to a Shoney's. Had the food bar, you know, there. And so I walked up to the food bar, and I was getting something to eat, and this, back then I was quite a bit younger, and this, Elderly lady, this, I would call her, uh, respectfully, a little old lady. She came kind of sidling up to me and she looked at me and she pointed at the bar. I'm not going to use, I'm not going to say every word she said, but she said, what is that? And I looked at it and I said, I don't know, but it looks good. And so she started kind of walking around. She walked all the way around the bar. She came back, came up to me. Now, listen, I've never seen this woman before. I never laid eyes on her before. She never seen me. I don't know who she is. She don't know who I am. She walks back up to me. She said, vegetables. That's all they have on this bar is vegetables. And I hate vegetables. And I wanted to say, well, <laughs> I wanted to say, well, go somewhere and eat then. Let me eat in peace. I didn't say that. But I thought to myself, here's a woman, she's mad. 
She's mad at somebody. She's not mad about vegetables. She's mad about somebody or at somebody, and that somebody's not around, so she's taking it out on me. She's an angry person. You anybody like that? They're just angry all the time. They're mad. Somebody's wronged them somewhere, and they've just held on to it and, and just rehearsed it, and it's just it's just rolling around inside of them, and every now and again, and, and more now than then, uh, that all of a sudden that it's like on that water heater, the pressure gets built up, and that little valve will pop, and out it will come. You know, somebody like that. God does not want us to live like that. Not not concerning anyone in the world, but especially concerning the brethren. He wants us to love one another. We will not be angry at one another. I was preaching. I was preaching a sermon called When Your Timing Does Not Match God's Timing or When God's Timing Does Not Match Your Timing. And I preached about him coming to visit Abraham in the heat of the day. It's a bad time of day for a visit. But God doesn't always work at a convenient or comfortable time. And I got talking about forgiving one another and all of a sudden this preacher that was in the service, he got up and walked out. And I know him, he's a good friend of mine, and I thought surely he's not mad about the preaching. But he just got up and walked out. So after the service, he came back in. He said, Brother McBride, while you was preaching uh, about that heat of the day and doing things when God prompts you because do it on God's timing. He said, God put in my heart a preacher that I was not right with. And so he said, I got up, went out and called him on the phone and got it straightened out. Let's get let's get things straightened out with one another. You say, well, preacher, I'm going to stay angry. You better not. The Lord's coming. When he comes, you're going to have to explain that anger to him. You're going to be ashamed about being angry. So I want us to think about what Paul said here about anger in light of the Lord's coming. I want you to notice first of all the heart of the apostle. He says this. He said, not in heart. We, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. Paul's going to show us something about his heart. He's going to use this kind of language. He, he says, we endeavored more abundantly. He talks about with great desire. He said, we would have. You know, another time in 2 Corinthians, Paul said this. He said, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Paul's telling them something about his heart. What kind of heart did Paul have for his brethren in the Lord? Well, let's look at a couple of verses in this passage. Look in verse number 7. Watch what Paul says in chapter 2 and verse 7. He said, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Now, the word nurse here is our idea. It could be a nurse maid. Uh, it could be a nurse that is, that is physically nursing the children. It could mean the mother. But whichever meaning that Paul is using, he said, this is how I feel about you. I feel about you like a nurse with her charges, with her children is the word he uses. So Paul said, here's how I love you. I love you like a mother loves her children. You ever notice about a mother how she'll, she will always think the best of her children? You ever notice that? I was pastoring up in the upper peninsula of Michigan. I had some friends come through, a fellow that I'd been my best friend all through high school. And Sherry and the girls were gone, and I was pastoring the church. We had a little gymnasium out behind the church, like you do here. And they'd been on a long trip, and there were, I don't know how many children there were. It seemed like there was 25 of them, but there was probably seven or eight children in that van. And they'd been traveling in that, and they were young children. 
And they've been traveling in that van all day long. And I'm sure on normal occasions they were well-behaved children. But when they opened that door and those kids started flying out of that thing and got in the house, and then when they got in the house, they went. They were in every room. They were in every drawer. They were in every closet. They were getting things out I didn't even allow my kids to play with. And, I mean, they were getting stuff out. And you know what that, I noticed that little mommy, you know, I had a, had a brainstorm in the middle of it. I said, hey! Hey, let's go over to the gym. Went over to the gym, got the balls out and, and worked off all their energy. But all that time, that little mama followed them around and what they, what they threw on the floor, she picked up. What they got out of the drawer, she put back. And what they took from the closet, she hung back up. If they broke something, she did her best to fix it. That's what mamas do. They follow around because they care about their children. They love their children. And Paul said, that's the way I was with you as a nurse with her children. He said, that's how much I love you. Not only did he talk about being a nurse with the children, but then look in chapter 2 and verse 11. He said, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his children. Paul said, I don't, I not only love you like a mother loved your children, I loved you like a father loved your children. Look at the words that he used here. He talks about, he said, I exhorted you and I comforted you and I charged you. Exhortation to build them up when they needed to be encouraged and comforted when they when they were hurt or when they'd done wrong. My my little my littlest grandson Joshua, he had a little stomach trouble at the table the other day. And so as soon as they got him all cleaned up and everything, he said, Call Papa. He needed a Papa fix. He wanted to talk to Papa. Papa makes it better when you're sick. Amen. And so Paul said, as a father said, I comforted you. He's talking about when they were hurt, when they felt wrong, when, when something was lacking and they needed somebody to say, hey, everything's going to be all right. Paul said, I did that for you. And then he charged them when they weren't what they were supposed to be. When they, when they had done wrong, Paul, in love, rebuked them and admonished them. What's he saying? He's saying, I love you. I love you. I love you like a mother loves her children. I love you like a father loves her children. And then four times in this passage, Paul will use a word for the Thessalonican Christians, and that word is brethren. If you study that word brethren, it means out of the same womb. Paul is saying, spiritually speaking, said we're from the same mother, out of the same womb. It's like, I've got three brothers. My oldest brother is Steve. My next oldest brother is Dave. My little brother is Jeff. And uh, my brothers, uh, we don't agree on everything. My brothers are all Methodists. My next oldest brother, he pastors the Methodist church I grew up in. And uh, we'll get together. We don't argue about things. We don't get, you know, we don't uh, get angry with each other about things. If they needed me and called me and said, I, I need you up here. You said, what would you do? I'd drop what I was doing and I'd go up there where they all are in Michigan. They're brothers after the flesh, fleshly brothers. But Paul said, you know what? I, I treat you. The truth of the matter is oftentimes our brethren in the local church amongst the body of Christ are closer than our physical family. Many times that's the way it is. And so Paul said, I love you like brethren. He said this, being affectionately desirous of you. Let me ask you a question. When you think about the brothers and the sisters at the Walridge, at the church here in Walridge, are you affectionately desirous of them? Or is your kind of language, man, I hope they don't come tonight. I hope I don't have to speak to them tonight. Are you affect? You know, see, there's something wrong with us because the Bible said in the book of Romans, uh, I think it's chapter five, that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. 
And God does not pick and choose who he loves. Are you listening now? He loves not because there's something in me. He loves because of something in him. And I ought to love you not because there's something in you. I ought to love you because there's something or someone in me. The Holy Ghost of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Say, well, I can't stand so and so. Well, can I say this to you? If you can't stand a brother in Christ, the problem is not the brother in Christ. The problem is in your heart. And so Paul said, this is the way I feel about you. This is the heart I have towards you. You ought to examine your heart and get that thing right. So there, Paul talks about his heart. Then Paul will say something else that has to do with loving the brethren. Watch what he said. He said, wherefore, in verse 18, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. Now watch this. But Satan hindered us. There's the hindering of the apostle. You say, well, preacher, I'm mad at so-and-so. Well, let me just say this to you. If you got to be mad at somebody, don't you be mad at the devil. He's the one causing all the trouble anyway. I have some preacher friends that will text me on always on Sunday morning, try to encourage me. Once, once in a while they'll call me. One time I got a call and I was discouraged. We were having motorhome problems and we are just having all kinds of difficulty. Every time they fix one thing that's in the shop, they'd find something else. I'd come in on Sunday morning. I didn't feel like preaching. I didn't feel like going to church, to be honest with you. And I saw there's a message. I know you're more spiritual than that. But I saw a message on my phone and I hit it and I heard this voice say, Just like that. They're praying for you today. Just like that. I'm saying it just like that. Praying for you today. I pray that you have the wisdom of the hours of the angel before the Holy Ghost. Not and on he went. It was Dr. Larry Brown from Washington, Iowa. And he'd been concerned about me and he was praying for me. I have folks that do that. They, they'll, they'll send me stuff and they'll text me on a Sunday morning. Try and be an encouragement. I think Brother Scott Matthews, that, that family that sings with the Rochester family, I think every Sunday morning, probably mostly without fail, he'll text me. And he texted me. Uh, he texted me this week. Uh, no, he texted me something else. But another fellow, Brother Jones from up in Michigan, he, he texted me and, and, and reminded me about the devil. He, he said, I'm praying for you today. He said, remember the devil walked about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he said, he's after you, but I'm praying for you today. And you know, that's the truth. The devil like to sow discord. You, you'll be talking to somebody and they'll say something and the devil or one of his devils will whisper in your ear and say, what do you mean by that? Yeah. Right. He meant to slight you. You know, most of our hurts are, are only perceived hurts in the first place. I was preaching you. <laughs> I must be getting old because everything happened to me happened years ago. But a long time ago, I was preaching in Plant City, Florida. And there were five young young people. Some girls and some boys got up, little children, they sang a special. And when they got done singing, the preacher said, now you and you and you, you stay here. And he sent the other two down. He said, now I want you to sing again. And I'm up here on the platform. And I'm looking, and I could pick out the parents of those two that he told to sit down. They were mad. He sat my little darlings down and let them other three little uh, no good sing up there on the platform. It was a perceived hurt. It wasn't a real hurt. Just perceived. And most of the time, that's what we deal with. But we have an enemy. We have an enemy. He is a person. Here's what Paul said. Satan hindered us. You say, oh, preacher, there's no devil. Oh, you better read your Bible, friend. 
There is a devil. There is a real devil. That's why we're to be sober and to be vigilant. The Bible said the thief cometh not over to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what the devil wants to do. He wants to destroy the work of God. He wants to get in on the thing. He wants you to get mad. He wants me to get mad. He wants to get a wedge between me and the pastor. He wants to put a wedge between you and brethren in Christ. He wants to get in on the deacons' meetings. He wants to get in on the Sunday school class. Hey, let's do this. Let's say, devil, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, but you are not welcome around here. Notice what his purpose is. He wants to hinder. He said, wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again, but Satan hindered. Now, that word hinder is an interesting word. I'm not... I'm not a big uh, Greek scholar or, or even a Greek student, but I, I do have a strong concordance. And I looked up this word hinder and it means to cut out. It's the idea of, it's the idea of if you were a, if you were a cowboy and you had a herd of cattle and you were going to take one of them to the slaughterhouse, you'd get on your horse and you'd go in there and cut him out, get him away. Or if you were a predator out in the jungle, and there were the there were the gazelles or the zebras or whatever it was. What would the predator do? He'd run in there, charge in there, and try and separate someone from the pack where he could get them and the pride could the pack of lions could take them and, and get a meal out of them. He wants to cut you out. The devil wants to cut you out. Boy, I don't know why. I don't know why the preacher preached on that. He knows I'm having trouble with that. You know why you're feeling that way? The devil's trying to cut you out of the herd. Well, I don't know why so-and-so said that to me. I, I can't imagine what he meant by that. You know why you're thinking that? Because the devil's trying to cut you out. Because you know what? He knows if he can cut you and get you away from the people of God, separate you from the herd, what will happen is you'll be an easy target for him, an easy prey for him. He wants you to get mad and get out of the house of God. Are you listening now? He's after you. say, well, preacher, he won't bother me. He will bother you if you're trying to be faithful to God. The Bible said, yea, and all them that will live God in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He will bother you. He'll try to cut you out of the herd. He'll try. I remember some years ago. Notice I didn't say a long time ago. Some years ago when I was preaching down at, at a church in Georgia and they had sold their building and they were moving to a building, a brand new building. And in between selling the building and the new building being done, we were meeting in an auction house. And we'd go in there and have revival. And I remember the first night of revival, we'd go in, we put, we had to put, put all the bleachers back in, and, or I guess we had to pull them out. And then we'd put a, a, a carpet down, we set the PA up, set up some chairs, make us a makeshift platform, and we started the service. And I don't remember what we were singing, but we were singing some song, and man, people started getting under Holy Ghost conviction. God began to move in that service. And people started getting up and coming. We had a makeshift altar during the song. They were coming to the altar. And uh, then the next thing I know, we're still singing. They're getting their hearts right. People are going to one another, getting their hearts right. And, and uh, there were things going on in the church. I, I was just visiting, just the visiting preacher and the family singing. I didn't know what was going on, but apparently there was trouble in the church. The preacher didn't know what was going on. Families were going to one another and apologizing for what they'd done and how they'd felt and things they'd said. And then they start, we just quit singing because they started testifying. People testify and say, more. I'm sorry. I want to tell the church I'm sorry that I got angry about this. And I'm sorry that I said that. And I'm sorry I haven't been faithful. And I want to get right with the Lord. And I want to apologize to the preacher. And I mean, it's just going on. 
And all of a sudden, this young lady stood up. She's crying. She said, I want to tell the church I'm sorry. I've been thinking about quitting here and, and just keep getting out of church. She said, I, I just keep having these thoughts that nobody loves me here and nobody cares for me. I'll never forget what she said. Here's what she said. She said, I just need to get over myself. She said, I was going to quit. I felt like nobody cared. I believed that. It wasn't true. But you know what the devil's trying to do? Cut her out. Get her out by herself. Because when you're out by yourself, they don't tell them what you're going to think, who you're going to listen to. We need the church, don't we? You know what the Bible said? You believe the Lord's coming back? The Bible said, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the matter of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's not a time to come to church less. It's a time to come to church more. Not a time to love less. Time to love more. He wants to cut you out. He wants you to get angry. He'll, something will be said from the pulpit. And that thought will come in your mind, that preacher picking on me. No, he's not picking on you. He's just preaching the Bible. He loves you. You listen now? He loves you. If he didn't love you, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing. He'd go do something else. But he loves you. It's a labor of love. And so there's a devil, a real person. He has a purpose. But I want you to notice his persistence. Now watch what it said. By the way, you say, preacher, the devil wouldn't bother me. If the devil could bother Paul, he could bother you and I. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul. Now watch it. Once and again. But Satan hindered us. Now I take that verse to mean that Satan just didn't hinder them once. But once and again, he hindered them. Over and over and over, Satan hindered. You know what? He's more persistent trying to hinder than we are trying to help. He never gives up. He just keeps on. You and I, we'll try and love somebody and help somebody. After a little while, it gets difficult. We say, well, I'm done. The devil don't ever get done. He just keeps after it and after it and after it. You mark it down. If you have revival in your heart this week, you know what will happen on Monday? Well, it won't even take till Monday. On Friday of this week, you know what will happen? The devil will show up. In fact, he probably won't wait till tomorrow, wait till Friday. He'll probably be around tonight by the time we get done. He'll hinder once and again, again, and again, and again, and again. He won't let you go. So you say, well, preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying the Lord's coming. Let's not be mad at each other. Let's be mad at the devil. Let's not say, well, I'm not having nothing to do with so-and-so. Let's say, I'm not having nothing to do with the devil. Let's not say, well, I'm not going to listen to so-and-so. Let's say, I'm not going to listen to the devil. I'm going to love my brethren. So there is the heart of the apostle. There is the hindering of the apostle. I want you to notice this last thing. There is the hope of the apostle. Now look in verses 19 and 20. Look what he said. Wherefore, we would, whoops, that's verse 18. Look at verse 19. For, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. Now you say, well, preacher, I'm looking forward to heaven. I am too. I'm looking forward to street of gold, walls of jasper, gates of pearl. I remember old friend Billy Kelly said something agnostic said, where is there? Where is there an oyster big enough to make a pearl big enough to make a gate? He said he lives down there next to that fish that swallowed Jones. Amen. I'm looking forward to that. But I'll tell you what else I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to no tears, no death, 
No sorrow, no dying. I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? You know what else I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to no sin. You know, there's going to come a day I'm going to have a glorified body and I'm going to be in heaven and I will never, ever again have to bow my knee and say to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. I'm sorry that I said that. I'm sorry for what I, I'll never have to do that again. I've, hallelujah. That makes heaven seem awful sweet. But I'll tell you what I'm looking forward more than that. I'm looking forward to seeing folks I love. You know, Paul said this. He said, what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not now, now watch the language. Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Now, if he'd have said that my joy and my hope and my crown of rejoicing are ye at the coming of the Lord, I might have got the idea that Paul was just saying, you know, I'm going to love you till Jesus comes. But he said this, in the presence of our Lord. So Paul was saying, when we're in the presence of Christ, I'm going to know who you are. I'm going to recognize you. Someone said, preacher, will I know my loved ones when I get to heaven? Well, Paul just said, I'm going to recognize you in the presence of the Lord. When Jesus comes and the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. He's not coming to this earth to get us. He, the trumpet's going to blow. We're going to go up and meet Him in the air. Go to the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage of the Lamb. Uh, so we're going to be in His presence. We are going to know one another. I don't know how we'll know one another. I don't know what we'll look like. The Bible said over in First John chapter 3, I think it is, uh, verse uh, 2 or 3 or somewhere around there, it said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God that doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when He sh- shall appear we shall be like Him, but we shall see Him as He is. So I don't know what that means exactly, what I'm going to look like or what you're going to look like. I, I have a glorified body. I guess I won't need my glasses anymore. I'll probably have all my teeth and I may get my hair back. I'm not sure. I have a glorified body, but apparently you'll be able to know who I am and I'll be able to know who you are. I don't, I can't, I, I can't explain exactly how that works. All I know is Paul said, I'm going to glory and rejoice in you in the presence of the Lord. Somebody said, preacher, I'd like to have a little bit of heaven on earth, but why don't we rejoice and glory in one another right now? Why don't we say this is our joy? This is our glory. This is our crown of rejoicing. Are not even ye. He expected to recognize them. He expected to rejoice with them. He said, you're a crown of rejoicing. Now, I'm sure Paul is at least making reference to the fact many of them he led to Christ, but he probably didn't lead all of them to Christ. And he's writing the whole church. So everybody that there is part of Paul's rejoicing. And then he expected to receive because of them. I think, I think he's talking about the fact that there will be a crown of rejoicing for the soul winner's crown. Some of them are going to be in heaven because of what Paul did. He did not save them, but he told them the truth about the gospel. Can I ask you this? Anybody going to be in heaven because of what you've said? Or because of what you've done? Is anybody going to heaven because you told them about Jesus? Because you gave them a track? Because you invited them to the house of God? We just had a friend of mine, Brother Floyd Perry. He pastors in the Emmanuel Baptist Church in Granite Falls, uh, North Carolina. He called me or I called him somehow. We talked this week anyway. He said, I'm getting ready to go to a funeral. I said, a funeral? Yeah, and he named the man's name. He said, you remember him? I said, I sure do. He said, yeah, he got saved in revival. I said, you were preaching. And he got under conviction. 
And I remember because I was up on the platform and, and uh, I, Brother Floyd was beside me and a fellow was leading the, uh, the, the song of invitation. That fellow had raised his hand and uh, I, we prayed and, and I looked at Brother Floyd and nudged him. I said, here he comes, here he comes. He got up out of that back pew and he come up and he got down on his knees and he trusted Christ as his Savior. And now this past week, you know where he went? He went to glory. Amen. There's a crown of rejoicing. There's glory in that. Is anybody going to be in heaven because you talked to him about Jesus? Anybody like that? Paul said when we get to heaven, there'll be a crown of rejoicing. He said the same kind of thing in Philippians chapter 4. He said, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Do you remember what, what Paul said in the book of Hebrews? He said this. He said, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has set down the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him which, which endured such contradiction of sinners, lest you be weary and faint in your mind. I've often looked at that verse and thought, what joy was set before Jesus? For the joy that was set before him, what joy was it? I think Paul explains it right here. Paul said, I'll tell you the joy that's ahead of us. It's those that we've won to Christ. It's the brethren. I think the joy that was set before Jesus was, hallelujah, he looked down through time and he saw Brian McBride lost and on his way to hell, about to spend eternity in the fires of hell. And he said, I'm going to go to the cross and give him an opportunity to be born again and be saved. That's the joy that was set before him. <laughs> Brother Rudy Smith pastors the Mount Sinai Baptist Church. He sang a song. He wrote a, he turned out I've known him for years. I never knew he was a songwriter. But he was preaching through the cross, Christ on the cross in Matthew 27. And he came to that, that verse and that cry where Jesus said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he wrote this song. The title of it is, We Are the Why. Why was God the Son forsaken by God the Father? We are the why. He was bearing my sin and your sin to the cross of Calvary. And Habakkuk said of God, Thou art of purer eyes than to look upon iniquity and canst not stand sin. So the only time in the history of the universe, God the Father turned His face away from God the Son. You say, Preacher, why did He do that? For the joy that was set before Him. You and me. You say, preacher, I'm not worth that much. I know it, neither am I. But we were worth that to him. Hallelujah. We are the why. Now listen to me. If that person in the pew beside you was worth that much to Christ, they'll be worth that much to you. Oh, love one. I know we, I know we kid one another and tease one another. That's part of it. But we all love one another. Because Jesus is coming back. And that Jesus that coming loved us so much that he endured the cross so that we could be his. So I want to ask you this tonight. In light of the Lord's coming, would you get over your anger? Would you deal with your anger? Here's what the Bible said. The Bible said, love your enemies. Now, the word enemy in Matthew chapter 5 is an interesting word. It means one who has acted hatefully toward you. So he said, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. 
Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. And he's not saying if you don't love the brethren, you're not saved. He's saying if you love the brethren, you'll look like your Father. Because that's what God does. He sends a rain on the just and on the unjust. Amen. He's good to them that deserve goodness and them that don't deserve goodness. Are you listening? And so we all love one another that way. I was in a meeting in Lynchburg, Virginia, the Jordan Baptist Church. I preached one night on bitterness. When I got done preaching, I sort of stepped off to the side and the song leader stepped up and he was leading the song, the invitation song right at the, right at the pulpit. And I stepped back a little bit and I stand beside the preacher. It was a long building and there were two rows of pews, two sections, aisle down the middle and thin aisles on the side. And we got started in that song and all of a sudden I, I heard this, this cry, this wail, this, ah! And I looked back and there was a blonde-headed lady and she was about three-quarters of the way back to the back and she was crawling over people. She's trying to get out in the aisle, but she wasn't saying, excuse me, excuse me, let me by. She's just shoving people out of the way and crawling over them. And she got in the aisle and I thought to myself, the verse that came to my mind was in Revelation, be zealous therefore and repent. And I thought, she is zealous to get to the altar and she got in the altar and she started, or to the, in the aisle, she started running toward the altar. And I thought she's come to the altar to get her heart right, but she didn't come to the altar. She got about the third row and she planted her right foot and she turned left and she started crawling over people getting in that third row. And she got about halfway through that row and there's another blonde-headed woman. And when she got that first blonde-headed woman, got that second blonde-headed woman, she threw her arms around her and they started hugging one another. They was crying and uh, just hugging I'm, I'm back here standing next to the preacher and I looked over at him and he's watching and I'm watching. I said, preacher, what is going on over there? He said, those are two sisters, physical sisters. He said, they haven't spoken a word to each other for three months. He said, I guess they're getting right. It sure did look like they were getting right. You know, a lot of time the trouble we have with one another Sometimes it's Satan trying to throw a wrench in the work. But maybe sometimes it's God trying to humble us. And what he wants us to do is humble ourselves and go to a brother and sister in Christ and say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? It's not an easy thing to do. I was preaching in an outdoor meeting in Tabernacle, Charlevoix, Michigan. I was on the front row. I was the second preacher. The first preacher was in the middle of his message. I was sitting on the front row right up front. And all of a sudden, I heard this voice. I heard this, Amen! Just like that. Then in a minute, another couple minutes, I heard somebody say, same voice, Amen! And I recognized that Amen. I knew the man that was amen And he and I, we're at odds with one another. And I'm telling you, every time I heard him say, Good man! It's like somebody stuck a knife in. And the Holy Ghost said to me in my heart, You better go get that right. And I had a little conversation with the Lord. I said, Lord, i got to preach now. I can't get up and walk out. Lord, I'm on the front row. Everybody's going to see me stand up. It's going to, it's going to distract people from the preacher. 
I can't, I can't go. Lord, I'm the next preacher on the schedule. And the Lord said to me in my heart, you'd be preaching by yourself if you don't go get that right. So what'd you do? I got up out of my seat because I have preached by myself before and I don't like it. And I walked around the back and I put my hand on his shoulder. He was surprised. He looked up at me. He was shocked. I said, can we talk outside? So we went outside. We got that thing straightened out. Got it straightened out. I went back up and preached. Had liberty. Had the help of God. But I had to humble myself to get it right. Listen now. Had to humble myself. So well, they were in the wrong. Well, what's more important? You being right or God being glorified? I think you know the answer to that. So Paul says, you know, the Lord's coming. And he said, I'm expecting to rejoice with you. So if I'm expecting to rejoice with you when Jesus comes in his presence, I might ought to practice up right now and get right. Make sure our hearts are right toward one another. I want you to bow your heads a moment. Heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. The Holy Ghost wants to work in the services. He wants to work in the preaching. He wants to work in our hearts. But here's what's happened. So-and-so said this to me. So-and-so did that to me. So-and-so did wrong to me. They shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have said that. They shouldn't. No, that's distracting from what the Holy Ghost wants to do. In our life. So let's do this tonight. There's somebody here and you're not right with them. They're not right with you. Don't you go. Don't go and say, you know, I have a hard time being around you. Don't say that. Don't go and say, you know, if you, if you would, no, go to them and say, listen, I'm sorry for what I said or what I did or even, I'm sorry. I want to be right with you when Jesus comes. Whatever we have to do. I want us to be right. You tell somebody you love them. Are you listening now? Paul talked about his heart. How's your heart today? How's your heart toward the brethren? How is it? Let me ask you this just before I pray. Somebody here say, Preacher, there's somebody I need to get right with. I'm not saying I'm going to do it tonight, but I need to. The Holy Ghost spoke to me about it, and I want to be spiritual enough tonight at least to admit that I need to do something about it. And I want you to pray for me that I'll know what to do and how to do it. And then I'll have the faith to do it. There may anybody like that tonight. Say, preacher, will you pray for me? I need to get something right. Thank you. I see that. Somebody else. Just lift your hand. I want to pray for you. I'm going to wait a minute now. Now, Father, you help us in this invitation. Help us to love one another. Help us, Lord, to not believe anything the devil tells us because he's a liar, always has been. Lord, I pray you help us listen to the words of the Holy Ghost in our heart. He speaks to us from the Bible. And I pray you help us love one another. Please help us, Lord. We need you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand a moment.